Amen. Lord, thank you. All right, everybody knows today is Palm Sunday, and of course, Palm Sunday to until technically speaking, Palm Sunday until Jesus uh, was died, died and was buried is what they call Passion Week. Actually, the resurrection, which is Easter Sunday, what we celebrate as Easter Sunday, is not a part of Passion Week. If you didn't know that or not, because that's a new day. Amen. A new day. A new day. And so Passion Week, or Holy Week, what some people call it, is uh, the end of the old day completely. And I wanted to put up, the, uh, put up that first slide, David. This is about the Feast of Israel. I want to remind you all of something <clears throat> that's really important for us today. These are the Feast of Israel that, <clears throat> that the Lord gave Israel uh, in Leviticus 23. You should read, go and read that whole chapter. It's got all these, there's actually seven feasts that God gave Israel. Three of them were required. If you really look at it real close, they were, uh, you have the, first of all, the Passover is, of course, that represents the Lord Jesus, the lamb that was slain, his blood that delivered us from evil. And that's, you know, really the beginning of what we're sharing this week. And then there's the unleavened bread. Now, Unleavened bread and, and, and first fruits are all shared, all part. If you really study it, they happen successively. I mean, right one, right the other. Uh, unleavened bread, of course, they ate that bread when they were leaving in a hurry. But that really re- represents the Lord Jesus again, Himself, as being the unleavened bread. I'm the bread from heaven. There's no leaven in Christ. There's no sin. There's no wrong in Jesus. That's, that's really what that represents. And then there's the first fruits, which is the, represents the resurrection. Jesus being the first fruit of those raised from the dead. Now, in the Bible, there were other people that actually were raised from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead. But the difference between them and Jesus, they all died again. Okay? Every one of them. Every one of them died another time and stayed dead. But Jesus uh, is alive and will never die. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So really, that's those three, uh, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruit, really are what we are really celebrating when we celebrate Easter and Palm Sunday and all that. That's really, really what we're really remembering, you know, what the Lord Jesus has done for us and His, his life and who He is. And yeah. I'm going to tell you something. This is one thing I have found to be true in the Scripture. If you really look at the Scriptures close, um, all the letters course the gospels but all the paul's peter's john's jude james's letters they all seem to really put a real focus on on the father and on the son and you have the sort of the holy spirit back here in the background kind of promoting it always i mean and and that's really you know what god wants us to do he there's just this thing that god wants to raise up he wants to raise up the Father in our eyes, and that we have a Father, and that we're His children, but we also all honor and glory go to Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus really, the Lord's going to magnify Jesus in our eyes, I really believe. But then the next um, feast is Pentecost, which is, we, we love Pentecost, don't we? We should, because that, that represents uh, the ascension of the Lord Jesus going to heaven and sitting down on the right hand of the Father. But what he did when he got there, if you read this in, in, in Acts, um, he poured out the Holy Spirit. 
That's what he did. That was the first thing he did. He said he gave us the promise and he poured out. That's why the Holy Spirit is such an important aspect of the kingdom. Is, is, it is, it is the, he is the promise of the Father. And it is the first thing that Jesus did when he got to heaven. He just, I can just imagine Jesus getting up there and there's this big bucket and he just takes it and just dumps it out on the earth of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just the picture I have in my, my mind. And, of course, they had Pentecost, you know, they had the big X outbreak of the Holy Spirit there. We, we should be having outbreaks of the Holy Spirit in the church. All right, then the next three... Um, so so the, ch- the church age, we've been through the Passover, unleavened bread, first fruit age, okay? And the church has also gone... I believe we've, we've went through the Pentecost age... And, and we're, now we're entering into the next age. I believe, that, and, it's, and, and it's basically the Feast of Tabernacles is where we're headed as a church. But the Feast of Trumpets in the Old Testament, the high priest would blow the shofar, and when he would do it, every Israel, every good Hebrew, they would drop what they were doing. Just, no matter what it was, they could be in the biggest business transaction in their life, they would drop it, and it was a call to worship. That's what would happen. And that's really something the Lord has been calling the church to, is that the, our worship of Him, you know, it's, it's above all. And He wants us to have those hearts that we would just drop everything to worship Him. I mean, that's the kind of heart that God really wants us. And then there's the Day of Atonement, which in some ways does not apply to the church. It, at least it shouldn't, but I guess it really does because we, we've not come into some things. But it's a day of confession, it's the holy convocation, offerings of fire. Is what happened in the Old Testament. What I see this as being is the prayers of the church. It's the prayers of the church, you know, to bring the fire of God into the earth that God wants to release yeah. to save our nation, to turn the nation. Okay, and that's really, you know, what Mel Tari, y'all should all read Mel Tari's book. I guess, I don't know how many books he's wrote, but he wrote one famous one called Like a Mighty Wind back in the 70s. It was a great book. He was way ahead of his time. But that's really what the Lord wants to do, is He really wants to... I believe that Day of Atonement is the beginning of the great harvest of souls that God's going to bring into the, into the body of Christ. And then, those are actually celebrated in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called the Feast of Booths. It's the last feast. It's the greatest feast in the sense of it's the open heaven that they actually lived outside in booths under the open heaven. And that's really where God is bringing the church into now. God is bringing the church into this Feast of Tabernacles era where there's an open heaven. And there's always been an open heaven since Christ's death on the cross where He ripped the veil of the temple. But He's bringing us into that open heaven season where we are going to begin experiencing the open heaven more and more and more. It is really where we're at in the, in the spiritual calendar. And that's the last one in the, you know, in the natural, what they did in the Old Testament. It was at the end of the year. Towards the end of the year, that was the last thing that they did. And that's the last thing that God's going to do in the earth is He is going to create an open heaven. We're going to experience an open heaven before the Lord Jesus comes back. There'll be a church that experiences it, lives it, knows it, sees it, has it. Okay? Not just in theory, but in reality. And that's, that's where we're at. So it's really fascinating. Uh, if you study the Gospels, um, one-third of the Gospels, 
This is crazy. This kind of stuff really intrigues me for some reason. One-third of the Gospels take up the last week of Jesus' life. Isn't that amazing? One-third. One-third of the Gospels are about the last week of Jesus' life. That should tell you, you know, how important uh, the Gospel writers and what the Lord wanted us to know. He wanted us to know about this very week we are initiating today, that this was a very important week in the Bible because it was, you know, what the Lord was going to do. Anyway, I'm just throwing that out to you. Um, so uh, what I wanted to do, though, this morning is, if you look in the Scripture, um, Passovers, I was looking at all the Passovers. I was interested in how did Jesus celebrate the Passover? Okay, what did He do at Passover time? Now, I know He celebrated it the way every good Hebrew did, but the Bible tells us nothing about that. But it does tell us some things that happened on Passover that I think that the Lord really would speak to you about. Actually, Jesus experienced 33 Passovers in His life. Uh, but it only tells us about four or five of those Passovers. It tells us what, what He actually did, what He was up to. And I wanted to just read some things to you um, about those Passovers. The first one is the, His very first Passover that they shared with us is when Jesus was 12 years old. It's in Luke 2. 41 through 52, it says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. So we know that they were regular participants in this feast, as all Hebrews that really were going after the Lord did. So they had the feast. They left. They went. In the, you know, there was a caravan of people that went. They left. They went out a day's journey, headed home, and realized Jesus, at 12 years old, was not with them. They had just assumed he was with some other family members or friends. They searched it out, went back to Jerusalem. Okay, so there's two days, a day out, at least a day in. Got there and spent three days in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Now you can imagine as a parent, a 12-year-old, think about your 12-year-old and you have lost them for five days. Can you imagine the state of mind that they were in? I imagine they were like on the frantic level by that point in time. I would be. I mean, I'd be, you know, if I lost my kid for a day, I'd be flat bouncing off the wall. I'm telling you something, Dean. I'm going to tell you right now. They did not understand that he was God. Okay? They were human being parents. And you can read this. It says, Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, Son, why have you treated us this way? I mean, they were just feeling like Jesus just, I mean, they were just tore up. Okay? So I I don't want to minimize the human side of what Jesus' parents went through here. Okay? This is, you know, we should never minimize it. Because they didn't really have a revelation at this point in time. They had some things in their mind that they had stored in their hearts. Behold, your father had been anxiously looking for you. Anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Now listen, this is the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. Okay, right here. Why, why is it you were looking for me? Now, you, know, you guys know about, we talked about the law of first mention, right? First time something's mentioned in the Bible, that sort of sets the tone until something later in the Bible changes it or alters it. Uh, this is Jesus' verse. Why were you, you know, 
why is it that you were looking for me? First thing, first thing he said was a question. It's important. Did you not know that I had to be in my Father's house? Now, I think that's, that's the gem from heaven that God wants us to get out of this. Did you not know that I had to be in my Father's house? Now, other translations say a little bit different. Other translations, did you not know I had to be about my Father's business? Okay? However, the word house or business does not appear in the, in the original language. It was added for readability. But most people who really know stuff, okay, like the piles of the church fathers, about a list about that long, and then there's about a list of that long of other people who like the business thing. The, the church fathers all said it was his house. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And think about it. The first thing that Jesus wants us to get from his life, because there's a greater revelation of the father's house that he wants to release into the earth. This is the truth. God wants to get us out of the church that we've created. Man has created a church that God is saying, I want you out of that church and I want you in my house. And that's the revelation of the Father's house that God's trying to release into the earth now. So Jesus, at 12 years old, was not doing His Father's business. He was being in His Father's house. He was being in the place that He was comfortable being in. He was being in a place that He knew He belonged. And God wants to get us out of where we're at to where we really belong. That's the first thing He wants to do. Before we really can really begin to fulfill all that He has for us, not that we shouldn't be doing the Father's works, but we really must make that step. We must make that step across what we've created into what God's created. And God's created a house on the earth that He wants us to go in and be in and live in. And that's what He's trying to do in the earth today. The Father's house revelation that the Lord's given me, I'm just, it's, this is a worldwide revelation that He's releasing into the body of Christ now. It really is. And there's more to that than we're seeing today. But I do believe this is the thing that God wants us to do, is to, to get at home there and begin to find ourselves in the Father's house. What, you know, and it's not just a physical thing. It can't be just a physical thing. It mustn't be a physical thing. It must first be something like with Jesus. He got there where He belonged and said, This is where I belong. This is my house. Okay? And He wasn't talking about that Jewish temple because that thing came down. You know, that whole system came down. It was something much greater. He was talking about the house that he brought when he came to the earth. The Father's house that he brought with him because he was the ultimate Father's house, the Lord himself. Y'all good? All right, the second Passover is in John 2, 13 through 6. I'm just throwing out a few things here on these Passovers. Okay, it says in John 2, verse 13, The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Okay? And he found... This is after Jesus was doing ministry now. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Now, you, you, think, you think we've done some wild stuff in church? That was a wild day in church. 
I think about it. Jesus comes in there, looks around, get, pulls his belt off, so to speak, you know, his belt, and starts beating people with it. You know? Oh, I thought Jesus loved people. He did, but he was beating them that day, man. It was a whipping. And uh, it, it was just a wild... Can you imagine how wild it was in there? Money, he was throwing tables over. He was on a tear. I mean, this is the Lord Jesus on a tear, throwing stuff, turning money over. But he said this thing, get them out of here. Stop making my father's house. Now, this is the thing the Lord has really been revealing to me lately. And I want everybody in this room to do this exercise. Not right at this moment. I want you to do this exercise. With your spouse or somebody you're real close to, and ask yourself this question, what do I care about? Okay, what do I care about? Ask, for those who are married, ask your spouse, tell me what I care about. Just tell me what you think I care about. Because you see, what you care about is going to be reflected in your actions. Now that's the truth. Okay, because we all care about certain things. Now I'm not here to tell you what you should care about. But I am telling you, you do care about some things. And what you care about is going to be reflected. Some people say they care about their relationship with the Lord, but it's not true. Because they do nothing towards their relationship with the Lord. Some people can say we care about the body of Christ. It's not true. Oh, I care about seeing people get healed. They never pray for somebody who's sick. That's just ridiculous. You know, that's why Becky and I did this little exercise. And she was right, but there was one thing that she left out that I felt like I really care about, but she, she didn't see it in me. Okay? So I'm thinking, am I just, Lord, I got some deception in me or something because she, my, the, the closest person in the world to me doesn't see this thing that I care, I think I care about deeply. Obviously, I'm not manifesting that in my life. And Jesus cared about the Father's house. Jesus cared about something. It's good to find out what you really care about. Okay? It's good. It really is really important that we all find out what we care about because God more than likely has put a lot of those cares in us. I'm talking about positive care. I heard that where Benny Hinn, a, a person who knows Benny Hinn personally, says this about Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, if you spend 20 minutes with him, he is going to say something about how he hates sickness. Benny Hinn cares about people getting healed. He really does. He cares that people are sick. Therefore, what does Benny Hinn always do in his ministry? He wants to make sure people get healed. You see what I'm saying? What you care about, you're going to do. And so you, if you say and you care about a certain things, you're not doing anything about it, you, you need to really ask yourself some hard questions. Jesus cared about his Father's house to the point he was willing to offend people, make people mad, beat on people over it. <laughs> That's pretty radical. Beat on people over it because they were messing the things up so bad. Are y'all good? Yeah. All right, John 5, the third, the third time there was a Passover. Uh, this, is, this is it. This is good. This is the pool versus the river that Ann was talking about. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this is the only time it doesn't say Feast of Passover, but, but again, if you research it, the list is this long of the people who know stuff like this who say this was definitely Passover versus the, long, the short list of people who wanted to argue the point it wasn't. And this is crazy when you sort of research some of this stuff. It's interesting to hear what early church fathers had to say people who, who were like one and two and three generations 
away from Timothy. Okay? One, you know, like Timothy's spiritual sons, spiritual sons, spiritual son. You know, what they had to say. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, as it was stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So this was the hospital of Jesus' day. You know, there, was, there was an angel that would come and stir the waters and people would get healed if they would get down there. And uh, one of the things of the mindset of the Hebrew culture okay, that, we, that we need to understand today is in the Hebrew of the culture of Jesus' day, I'm not even talking about the disciples and the people who are following Jesus. I'm just talking about the everyday person who didn't even, who didn't even serve Jesus. Angels, miracles, and healings were totally 100% accepted by them. That was no big deal to them. In fact, you go and study where they, went, where they had Paul bound up there in, uh, in Jerusalem at the, and they were fixing to haul him off. And Paul was uh, talking about you know, his visitations from the Lord and, and all these things he had. They had no problem with any of that until he started talking about going to the Gentiles. They got mad about that. Okay, they got mad when he talked about preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But as far as him saying, they were even saying, so what if an angel spoke to them? Who cares? I mean, we don't, that's no big deal to us if an angel spoke to this guy. In other words, in their culture, that was an accepted thing. Our culture, you start talking about angels in church, people get offended about it. People don't want you talking about that kind of stuff. They don't believe you, which is sad for our culture. Because angels are one of the eight things that are in the heavenly realm that God wants to release to us. Yeah, Hebrews 12, read it. There's eight things in the spiritual realm. Along with the blood of Jesus, there's angels. <laughs> okay? And we really need to embrace everything that's in the spiritual realm, including angels. Okay, not that we worship angels, but however, let me just bring this little point up to you. I could read a letter to you this morning and get you to make a judgment on it, which I won't do to you, from a certain person... And you would say, don't let that person come to this church and speak. Okay, I've done that with him a few times. I read this letter. This person said all his angelic visitations, blah, blah, blah. He just happened to try to worship an angel a couple of times and asked the question, should we let this person come to our church and speak? Oh, no, 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 do not let that person. You know who that person was? The Apostle John. <laughs> I'm serious. The Apostle John. He actually two times tried to worship an angel. I mean, this is at the end of the great, one of the greatest men of God ever walked on the earth, at the end of his life. So, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, when you start thinking about the Bible that way, you think, oh, gosh, help me, Lord. <laughs> Anyways, the main point is, is this is a rare occurrence in the Scripture right here. And it's rare from this perspective. Jesus asked this guy a question, okay? Do you wish to get well? Now, first of all, when the Lord asks us a question, He's not trying to get information from us. Right? He's trying to convey information to us. Get us to see it. So, whenever, so here's what I'm telling you this. When the Lord asks you a question, there's a miracle or a revelation coming you're headed your way. There really is. You, over and over in the Scripture. Or it could be like Peter's mom, uh, uh, Jesus' mom, when he asked them that question, they were just done, you know, they just didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Didn't you know how to be in my father's house? And they were like, 
you know, we're messed up. We're mad. You know, we're anxious. They didn't. They got the revelation later, but the revelation does come. Second is is most of the time in the New Testament when Jesus healed people, it was because either the person asked Jesus to heal them, or some cl- person close to them, like the guys who lowered the guy down in the roof, or the centurion heal my servant. Most of the time, Jesus did not heal people who didn't ask him. Now, that's the truth. This is one of the few rare times. The point being is someone said, and I think they're right, everything that we need to live, we're going to get. God's going to give it to us. But everything we really want, everything we really desire, you've got to go after it. Do y'all get that? Because here's what the problem is in the church. The Lord stirs and people set back. And, and you wonder why God's not touching it. I guess you wonder. Maybe you don't want Him to touch you. I don't know. But I guess the point is, if you really want the Lord to do something for you, you've got to go after it. You've got to have an attitude like the woman with the issue of blood who shouldn't even have been there and wasn't supposed to even be in touch, touching people. And she pressed through all of that. Because it's going to be a rare day in your life when the Lord comes to you and says, you know, in terms of trying to give you a miracle or help you. It's just not the way it Read the Scriptures over and over. You'll find that to be the truth. It, you know, in my life, there was one time in my life where I believe the Lord really came to me to try like this. And I will never forget it. I was sitting in church with my arms folded. The Lord was really moving in there. Everybody was really engaging. But I was skeptical or miserable or whatever my point, place was in, in life then. And fortunately, the person who was up there preaching and you know, carrying on was somebody who I had a close relationship to. He, I was sitting in the back back there like this, you know, miserable. He goes back there and grabs me by my shirt, yanks me up. Now, this guy was 6'5", 300 pounds, so he was not somebody I was going to retaliate. He's screaming in my face. I can remember it well. He's screaming in my face. I can remember his spit hitting my face. What's wrong with you, Byron? You're sitting there. You think God's going to meet you with your arms folded? Get up! <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm up. <laughs> but it really was a turning point in my life. But I'll tell you something. The Lord hadn't done that for me since then. He really hasn't. Now it's like, uh, well, here's what He did to me. Every once in a while, He'll do this to me. You know, the Lord will be moving and I'll be sort of messed up, mad or something. You know, just had a phone call and just aggravated. Got an argument with Becky on the way over here and the Lord's moving. And I'm not like, I'm not getting it. Lord, I'm not feeling it. You know, I mean, you know, just, just bad attitude. And you know what the Lord says? Byron, when the water's stirred, you better get in there. That's what he says. And he reminds me of that every time. When it's stirred, get in. Ask questions later. Just humble yourself. And that's what it always takes. It always takes humility. And I think that's what's wrong with most people who don't, is they're arrogant. They and you're arrogant when you don't do it. You're, you're arrogant. You're not willing to humble yourself because I don't feel it. You're upset with your wife or, or whatever. But God wants us just to humble ourselves. He wants us to come to Him, humble ourselves. If we would do that, God would meet us. You hear what I'm saying? Don't expect God to go to you when, you, when we're talking in ter- these terms. He's already come to you on the cross. 
People don't get saved. You know, you've got the, the, they have to make a step towards the Lord. Are y'all getting this? This is really important. And that's, that's why this is a rare occurrence here in the Bible. And it's going to be rare in your life because Jesus rarely does those things. So if you want healing, ask the Lord, Lord, heal me. I'm going after it. I'm not going to sit back. I'm not going to take this bad attitude position. I'm not going to take this arrogant position. Everybody good? Yeah. All right. Number four. Now this is the, the time when there was... This is important. Uh, John 6, 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him... Now, this is the setup for Philip. Said to Philip. Now, he's asking another question. Now, this is the economy question. Okay? God has interest in the economy, right? Aren't we glad God's interested in our economy? He was really interested in Philip's economy. Okay? And he asked him, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? Now, of course, the Lord knew what he was going to do. You know? Uh... But Philip didn't. So he, it says he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. So every one of us are going to have to face this qu- a question of economy. It, you know, if you're, going to do, if you're going to be involved in what God's going to be involved in, you're going to face the economy test. Where are you going to get the money to do this ministry? Okay? Or, let's take it back one step. If you're really going to go after the Lord, you're going to have to face the economy question for your own personal life. In fact, we all may have to face that economy question. You know, where we're saying, Lord, the Lord's going to say, well, where are you going to get the money to pay the bills this month? If He asks you that, it's because you ain't got the money. Because <laughs> He don't care. You can say, oh, heck, I got the money, Lord. I got the money. <laughs> There's nothing in that. I've got it. Where am I going to get it? I already got it. I earned it. I worked for it. Why are you asking me this? But when He asks you that question... Because, you see, God wants to release this miracle provision. I'm convinced of that. There's, a miracle, there's miracles that God, God wants to do in the arena of economy. Okay? There really is. He doesn't want to do just everything with money. Now, I'm not against money. I think money is a tool that God uses. But there's other things that... See, God didn't do anything with money then. He just, Philip just said, we, there's not enough money here. We don't, none of us have enough money to do this. It's just impossible. There's 5,000 people here. How are we going to get enough money to feed that crowd? You know, and tomorrow there may be 5,000 more. And, you know, the day after, the day after. It could be a long week. So, uh, so the Lord said, uh, or one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, uh, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? You know, one thing I did one time, a long time ago, I was kind of curious about the five barley loaves and two fish. If you really sort of study it, the barley was the poor man's bread in that day. I mean, it was the low-level bread. It was like that cheap white bread that you get that, what somebody said, you could boil it up into a ball and it just stays like that. <laughs> you know, versus the good bread with grain in it, the 12 grain this was the cheap bread that poor people ate. And the fish, they said they were like fishes. They were about like sardines. 
That was, that was, so that was all they had. They didn't have much. What they had was no good. It was crummy by what the world standards. But here's the key. They had to give that to Jesus. Okay? They had to give it to Him. And see, that's where we get messed up. You see, you can apply this to money. You can apply it to spiritual gifts, your vision, and everything. But really for the Lord to really be able to take it and use it, which He did take that, that and blessed it and, gave, and, and, and got His disciples involved. But you had to give it to the Lord. You've got to give, you got to give it to Him for, for Him, for there to be a real miracle to happen. Somehow or another, He's got to get a hold of the thing. He's got to get a hold of relationships and all that. But here's the terrible thing about the Lord, and He's done this to me before, which I can't stand it, is you give Him something, you sincerely give it to Him, and it's like He sticks it in His back pocket and walks off and does not say a word to you. I mean, that's a bad day. <laughs> you know? Because you think he's going, oh, here he is. I've given it to the Lord. Now he's fixing to do something with it. He just walks off and says nothing. You know, and it's two or three years down the road when it comes back up again. You've already wallowed in mud. And Has anybody else experienced that? That's just the way the Lord does sometimes. I don't know why he does it. But, but what he's looking for, he's looking for, number one, people to give it to him. Whatever it is, just give it to him. Your life, your finances, whatever. Uh, that's really important. But the other thing is what we have to see is that God wants mankind to be involved in the miraculous. Y'all got that? Yeah. Now, let me read this scripture. One, Psalm one fifteen sixteen. It says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. That's pretty good, isn't it? The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. But the earth He has given to the sons of men. Isn't that powerful? He's given the realm of the earth to us. He's given it to us to take care of it. He's expecting us to be involved with what goes on on this earth. In other words, he says here, you're on the earth, you're responsible for the earth, okay? And, and so you've got to use the things that I've given you, the things I've put in you, the gifts, the callings, whatever resources you have, you've got to use that in the realm of the earth to expand the kingdom. And the first thing you've got to do is give it back to me and let me do what I do with it. And then I will call you like he did the disciples. He took the five loaves, two fishes, then he took it and blessed it, and then he handed it back to his disciples and said, give them out. Are y'all getting that? Now that's really important for the body of Christ to realize. You know, it's like we're expecting God to do all this stuff, and he's saying the missing element is you. You know, you're part of this miracle that I want to perform in the earth. It's really, really powerful, I think. All right, and then we'll do the last one. We got time for that. All right, this one's the good one. Uh, this is at the end of his life, John 13, chapter, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the Lord loves us to the end. <laughs> the end, we're like, have you ever been at the end of your rope? I mean, seriously, have you ever been at the end of your rope? Yeah. I mean, that's a rough place to be. It really is. Everybody has to go there. But you know the Lord loves you there? It, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> that's why I've said that, because when you're at the end of the road, it does not feel like God loves you. It feels the opposite, like God hates me. <laughs> God's mad at me. God is after me because I have committed some terrible thing, and that's why I'm at the end of my rope. 
But he does love his, his people to the end. And during supper, the devil, interesting about the old devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. That's awful, wasn't it? See, if the devil has a place in your heart, he can put some bad stuff in there. You know, if he has a place in your heart, he can put some bad things in there. And that was really bad what, what he did. I mean, it doesn't get no better than that, really. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, but Jesus wasn't worried, was he? He's not scared of the devil. And that he has come forth from God. Now, see, he knew where he came from and knew it was going back to God. Alright, so he was pretty established in his identity. He got up from the supper table and laid aside his garments. Now this is what the Lord really wants from the body of Christ. He took a towel and he girded himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel which he had girded himself. Isn't that powerful? It's a servant's heart. The Lord really is looking for servants. You know, that's who he wants to promote, the servants. Um, in John 2... To the first miracle that Jesus did, he turned water into wine. You know what it said? And it said nobody knew where the water, where it came from, except the servants. God, God wants us to have that heart to serve people, to serve each other. I mean, that's just really, really what He's looking for in this hour. He's looking for people who are willing to just be servants and do menial things for Him, for His kingdom. That's really all he's, whatever menial thing it is, it doesn't matter. That's pretty menial, washing a bunch of people's feet. It's pretty rough. But he, he said this is, this is what he did. This is one of the last things he did on a Passover in the end of his, end of his life. Amen? Um, I wanted us to make sure we pray for certain people. Rhonda, Jackie. Who, there's a couple other people who raised their hand, had sickness. Raise your hand again. Foresight. Who? Lloyd. Now, we're talking about people, come on, Dick. Anybody else who has a sickness or, or that you really, that's pretty serious this morning, we want to make sure we get that dealt with because that's the enemy. That's not the Lord. So y'all come on up here. Yeah. We're going to pray for the Lord's Holy Ghost power, healing power, miracle power onto you. And... Amen. And we're also, I just want to give everybody an opportunity that you can take this time to come after the Lord, to come to the Lord and really ask for that miracle to be released. And we want the ministry team to come up. We want to pray for in, your individual needs. If anything that you need prayer for this morning, we really want to just believe that the Lord's heart is to release those miracles right now for you. So, amen. Amen. So, uh, are our children coming? And they're coming in. And uh, just anything like the like Byron was saying there, the water's being stirred. So if you need to get in a stirring water, just come up and receive prayer this morning. And uh, otherwise, if you need to go, or you can be dismissed and be blessed. And uh, God's going to pour out on you so much you can't even contain this week. I really believe that. So, amen.